Okay, this morning, as God led me uh, into the second epistle of Thessalonians, I just want to give a little background here because it's necessary for us to truly understand what it's saying here. And I'm going to read Second uh, Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, 1 through, 1 through 12. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church, here church is local assembly, unto the local assembly there in Thessaloniki for the Thessalonians, in God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I just tell you, the word is so amazing. The, the, this whole word, it's one organic thing, cannot be cut up. It is one whole organic thing with a constant teaching. I mean, even in this Second Thessalonians 1, chapter 1, verse 1, is bringing out the beauty, the awesomeness of propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. So that all, all will ultimately know him. Thank God we can know him in, in the grace and truth that's in Christ because we've been placed in him as this, this church that we are, the church of his that we are. And we don't have to know him and we don't know him properly in any judgment of any sort. Thank God for that. That's just the first verse in that first chapter. Of course, and then it's going to be grace unto you. Of course it's going to be that because it's the grace and truth that Christ is and that he brought in John 1 and verse 14. And when we have received, grace is, the, is in the Greek is the passive voice. It's always unearned, unmerited, undeserved, but freely given by God Almighty. And so as we look at this here, we have that grace. And then it says unto you and who are the you here? All those that are in Christ. And as a result, when I am humble, in James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 6, and I receive the grace, the teaching of what is mine in my position in Christ, when I experience it properly, what do I have? I have peace. And who is my peace? It's Jesus, who is our peace in Ephesians 2 and verse 14, who won that peace for us in Colossians 1.20 on the cross and the cost of what it cost him. And then it's from God. You see here, from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, this is propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation in a nutshell. But from Genesis to Revelations, this, that God is going to be known. He will be known by all. We know that based upon Philippians the second chapter in verses 9 through 11, based upon Isaiah 45 and verse 23, all will know whether the things in heaven, things on, uh, on the earth, or things under the earth, all will know him. But you see, how will we know him? And this is for us this morning. We know him in grace and peace because God gave us his son who propitiated him for us explicitly in 1 John 2, 1 and 2. And then 
He is, and he gave us the Lord Jesus Christ. This again does away with all the false teaching of lordship salvation. He was Lord from the beginning, and then he will be Lord unto the end, but he'll only be the Lord unto the end of all those that receive him. And this is brought out clearly here. And as a result, we are bound. Notice that we are bound. We are one with him, inseparable. In John 6, 37 and 39. In John 10, 28 and and, uh, 29. Inseparable. In Romans 8, 31 through 35, right through 39. Inseparable. We are bound. And our proper place is giving thanks to God. Always. Always. Giving thanks to Him. Always. And it's for you. You see, when we express our thanks, each of us individually, in our own individuality towards God, what does that become? That becomes something that is for us as we're one as brethren, as it is meet. You see, the word meet here is that God has given us, through Jesus Christ, all the qualifications to do it. They all come from grace. And that brings out, the word meet here brings out very beautifully Colossians 1 and verse 12. He made us meet to walk as saints in the light. And he transliterated us out of the kingdom of darkness in Colossians 1 and verse 13 into the very kingdom of the Son of his love. And that's why Jesus had to come out, put on humanity in John 1, 14 and Luke 1 and verse 35. He came out from that, from the bosom the place of the most intimate exchange of a love life, to have proper desires. And that was, that's revealed in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Again, this is all of this, you see. This is all what this is bringing out. And what is the cause of it? It's your faith. Your dependence grows. Do you see, when I'm dependent upon him, and that's what faith, pistis or pistuo in those Greek words, it always means an absolute dependence, complete and utter and complete dependence upon him for who he is and what he's accomplished. And that's why faith, when we have dependence, it always releases grace, because that's how we grow in Second Peter 3 and verse 18. And not only so, it's exceedingly. And what this brings out is his exceeding love for us. In Ephesians 3, 19 and 20 and 21, bringing it out very clearly here. And then we grow exceedingly in that love through grace. And that love of every one of you all toward each other overflows. And how does it overflow? When it overflows in me as a vessel... In Psalm 23 and verse 5, David said, my cup overflows. Why? Because our life doesn't have to do with just us. It starts there, but it has to do with others. We esteem them better than ourselves. Philippians 2, 3. We're not constantly looking on our own things, absorbed in them, and bringing the word into the absorption of all our thoughts. We, just, we don't look to our own things. And of course we have to look to our own things, but on the things of others. And they're inseparable. Did we know that? 
The, the things that are ours are inseparable for the others because who are they? They're of the same family. They're of the same nature and character and essence of God through Christ in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, you see. So the whole plan for God for me in, Je in Jeremiah 29 and verse 11 is for me filled up for others. Isn't that wonderful? Because that's what this teaches. That's exactly what it teaches here in a very beautiful way. That it's going to be toward each other. And what does love always involve? What do we think it is? What kind of God is God? What kind is he? God is love. Is his love ever active in giving? Is it? Is it? Every single way it is. It, it is. And there's a proper order how that operates in the local assembly. But honestly, very little known in the body of Christ, how to function in order. Or if it is known, it's skipped over because there's occupation of other things and that's mixing our thoughts with the one thought of God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that, so that we ourselves glory in you. And of course, this is Christ in us in Colossians 1 and verse 27, the hope of glory. You see that? And we don't glory in ourselves. We as Christians, we as Christians, honestly, we are not to glory in anything other than the cross in Galatians 6 and verse 14. What does that do? The cross cut off all the rights that I think I have in my flesh. I have a right to be offended. I pick and choose when I want to be corrected. How I want to be corrected who I want to do the correcting when it's God himself who does it in a precise order. So it makes it necessary. In 1 Peter 5, 5, you younger, especially, submit yourself unto the elder so that you're clothed with humility. So that you're clothed with humility. And with that humility, clothed with who Christ is in you, you will humble yourself, listen, what it says, under the mighty hand of God. Now that, under understanding the mighty hand of God is, Ephesians 4, 8, the man that is the gift, but connected to the head of Christ, so that only Christ flows through him. And then that goes into Ephesians 4, 11, 12. So in other words, Ephesians 4, 11 teaches what, what the pastor is supposed to do. This is what the pastor does. The pastor teacher, and by the way, it's one thing, by the way, we'll make that crystal clear. If, if you are called the gift of a pastor, Jeremiah 3 and verse 15, Galatians 1 and verse 15, Ephesians 4 and verse 11, you are a male. It's always masculine, singular. It's never a woman that leads in any, any area whatsoever. In the government, in the dispersion of the life of Christ to those members that are his. We'll make that crystal clear. So the pastor is to study till he's exhausted. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. You're to esteem them highly. You ought to look that word up, what it means to esteem them highly. To esteem them highly. Especially if they're an elder, an older person, but have the gift of a pastor teacher. That's what it states very clearly in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. Also, the, the pastor studies till he's exhausted. 
and 1 Timothy 5 and verse 17. And there's supposed to be tremendous honor in that. And there is tremendous honor in God's order. There is tremendous honor to you in the church. So, so that's what I do. And then, then it says this. Now watch what it says here. So the pastor, he gives the gift of all his spirit, the spiritual truth that God has obviously given him by grace and truth, but by tremendous labor, tremendous amount of years by God's grace. That's his call. And some think that in Ephesians 4.12, they don't know, but it's for the work of the ministry. The pastor's supposed to do everything. We just have to receive the word and we don't have to do anything else, really. That's not a joint that supplies. That's not a joint that supplies. Do you see, that's why a local assembly works. And if it doesn't have God's order and his order is not known or not taught, then what happens? There's just confusion, tremendous confusion that goes on. And as a result, that confusion gets in the way of the life and the peace, 1 Corinthians 14, 33, of God's order in 1 Corinthians 14, 40. And God's order is the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16 and Philippians 2 and verse 5. And if you'll notice, Philippians 2 and verse 5, it says, let this mind be in you. Well, it's not going to be in you if you don't esteem others better than yourself in 2, 3. And if you're constantly looking on your own things and not the things of others, Do you have the mind of Christ? And do I? Is the word of Christ, am I letting the word of Christ dwell in me richly? In all wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Am I in Colossians 3 and verse 16? Has Christ found a home in me? You see, you can't have Christ and I can't have Christ in my experience. And he won't find a home in me if the experience is the flesh. I'm too busy looking at my own things. And now I forget what I used to be so obedient to do. I forget it. You know why? You know why I would do that and you would do that? Because we would mix fleshly thoughts with God's thoughts. And you can't do that, Isaiah 1 and verse 22. You cannot mix. You cannot mix it and have peace. You and I. That's for any of us in any area. So here, as we go through this, it says, the church of God, the churches, the local assemblies, by the way, of God, not separate. Not, they don't have separate preaching and teaching. There's no such thing as that in the word of God whatsoever. Never, ever. Of course, there's plenty out there. And if you don't want to be obedient where God has called you to give you the word, then obviously you're going to want to go to something else. And I would too, by the way. But like the dog returns to the vomit. That's what the one does who leaves their place. When I leave my place, when I leave my place, I give place to the devil in Ephesians 4 and verse 27. You know, a lot of anger is a result of the truth coming in and Christians just not liking it. And then they get angry in Ephesians 4 and verse 26. But the anger should only be anger at what goes against Christ in us and, and him and about everything in him. There's where the anger should be. shouldn't be anger against those that give you the word, that laid their life down and invested. 
and then properly you invest back. That's how it works. That's how it always works. It doesn't work any other way. It doesn't. It really doesn't. And when you affect the order, you affect the learning. It affects the image in every single way. Notice this though, but it's for your patience. It's for your patience. You know, sometimes, and, and, and patience here is a beautiful balance. Yes, pastor, you need to be patient. You need to be patient so love can work into others. And we tend to make more the capacity of others, more than giving back even to the patient, to the one who gives the word. It works both ways. Do we see that? That's how it works. It's, it's beautiful how it works that way. And then that goes into Ephesians 5 and verse 21. We submit one to another in the reverence of Christ in the vessel. But that submission never excludes Hebrews 13 and 17. You have guides. And their whole life is like the miner that goes to the mine and digs. Takes a lot of labor to get the gold and the silver out. Takes years. Takes a long time for that to happen. By his grace and truth. But he gives you, God through that vessel that he's chosen by the way, chosen vessel. He through him gives you those spiritual things. You in turn return your material things. Brings it out crystal clear in the scriptures. And there's no godly reason why it should stop on either end. Do we see how this works? Do we see that? We see it, right? Would you be in business? Would you make a business? Would you labor in a business? A business? Would you get all the necessary tools to function in that business? And then what you would offer would be free? And you wouldn't have an expectation of return? You wouldn't? Oh, boy. Now, you know what? In Matthew 6, verse 24, you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon's money. It's the inordinate affection that the flesh attaches. The enemy uses it to attach the flesh of the individual. And ultimately, for this reason, in 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10, it's to pierce him through with many sorrows. Because the inordinate affection of, of money is the root of all evil. Boy, the enemy hates God's order. And he hates it. He wants to cause ignorant disobedience or rebellious and stubborn disobedience to stop the flow of the intimacy of the love of God in the body of Christ. This is so little known. And at times I wish others... Oh, would do, the, would do the teaching as, as truthfully as what we should all do. By the way, as shepherds that teach, teach and have a high skill in teaching by the grace of Almighty God in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15 and 2 Timothy 2 and verse 24. To have that. To keep the flow going in the body of Christ. And so there's patience and absolute dependence in all your persecutions. We have these persecutions. We do. It's part of it. In Philippians 1 
in verse 29. We're not only called to believe on him. You know what believe always talks about? It's absolute trust and submission and obedience to every word of God. That's what it means, by the way. Not just the areas we pick and choose. No. So many think that because we're so little, why should I have to do everything? Well, the, what this is teaching this morning is for every individual that make up the whole. Isn't that interesting? No. The pastor does that. He labors in the Word. And a lot more behind the scenes than you would ever even be aware of. And I would, by, his, by God's grace and truth. And then it says, for the work of the ministry. What do we suppose the work of the ministry is in Ephesians 4.12? You mean the pastor's supposed to do everything? Whew. Boy, not true. Not true at all. That's why each one has a place and a joint to supply. And I want us to understand that supply, that supply goes into not just the spiritual, but the material. In Ephesians 4 and verse 16, I want to make that crystal clear too. Crystal clear in the Word of God. In all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. And we can't do it without His love. But it, listen, His love, and I'm listening with you, His love flows through grace. It's something we don't deserve. But we need to be in a place to receive it and not resist it. Oh, I can't do everything. You know, that's what some say. Some say that that don't want to be obedient and knowing what they should do and don't do it. They, they feel like they can't do everything. And then those that, that don't think properly will encourage them in that. The greatest thing we can do. Oh God, in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7. Oh how he loves a cheerful giver. Because <laughs> there's no self involved in it. There's just freedom. Oh, how he loves a cheerful giver. That is a passive teacher, laboring and given to the body spiritual things. And they, in turn, with that, set free from themselves, they give back their material things. How else is the church going to function? How else should it function? And so this shame in teaching the order of God? There's, there's all kinds of shame to function outside of it. All kinds of shame. And the shame usually is a result of James 4 and verse 17. To him that knows to do good and does it not, because he has an excuse and Jesus did away with him in John 15, 22. To him it is sin. And we'll just speed bump that. Or I'll base how I... How I should give of my time, myself first, in Acts 6, for myself, my time and my finances. Based upon how I think that person looks and what they have are completely against what I should do in the order of God's mind. And that's what a lot do. Maybe if we stop the spiritual feeding, you know, and then people starve a little bit, you know, 
And then when you don't have what you, what you so desperately need in all of us, and I'm speaking of myself, do you know, I have to give myself. I have to give my time. I have to trust them for my finances, just like everybody. Every single person, I have to do that. I have to, and it's, and you know what? Is it hard to trust him? It's the easiest thing in the world to do because we lose ourselves. We lose ourselves, and we're in a place now, instead of giving up our place to Satan and disobedience, now I'm in a place to experience the intimacy of his love for me as an individual in every single specific area that I obey the word of God. So beautiful. It's the easiest thing in the world to do. It's not hard to love, return God's love. Did you know that that even speaks of Ephesians 4, 11, 16? And that speaks of 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13, and 1 Timothy 5 and verse 17. Did you know that? That's you giving, you giving his love back to you, to him, when you obey him in every single area of the word of God. I don't leave out. We used to call that the Swiss cheese Bible. You cut out certain things you don't like. You cut them out instead of those things being cut off from us in Ephesians 4, in Hebrews 4 and verse 12, so that now I can have and take the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 6 and verse 17. Which you endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted, notice this, worthy of the rulership of God, the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Suffer. Oh, how we don't. Oh, how we don't want to suffer. Huh? We don't want to live in self-sacrificial in any area, do we? No, God forbids that I glory. And glory there in Galatians 6 and verse 14 is the areas I know I should obey and I don't. I rather glory in myself than the cross that cut me off from living just for myself and not being obedient and using every excuse. You know, the enemy will give, will send others as an excuse why you can't do what you know you should do. And then even when they're gone, he'll still give you another excuse why you can't do it. Did you know that? Did I know that? This goes into 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7 very beautifully. goes into it as we ta- we're taught. It goes into that. Beautifully. And those scriptures that we were taught about the purgings. You see the preciseness of the word that God gave us. I don't know. Is that, is there any value in that? Or do I, and we should never do this by the way, or do I separate the preaching and teaching from the vessel? Do I make it just the Lord and skip the vessel? Do I? Is that love? According to 1 John 4, 7, right to verse 20. Would that be? Well, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer, Romans 8, 18. Seeing it is a righteous thing. Now we're seeing properly. Do you see the order here? Do you see where it all comes from? Look, propitiation. (laughs) Is that God-giving and self-sacrificial love? Is it got anything to do with that? Is Christ my substitute? Then what will I substitute him for in disobedience? What will I substitute him for? 
You know why? Because we get familiar with God. If I'm familiar with you, folks, it started when I got familiar with God. That's where it started. We get familiar. And familiarity, the enemy wants Christians to be comfortable in the flesh around each other and to know them after the flesh. To know them after the flesh. And somehow separate the preaching of the word for that particular time. Now you're with them, and now we know each other after the flesh. Is that fellowship? At any time, is it? At any time, for any of us. In 1 John 1, 1 to 3, of course it's not fellowship. You and I, we know this. God will never give me grace, which is the means of our fellowship. It's grace and truth that Christ is in Romans 6, 1 and Romans 6 and verse 15. He, he never gives us grace to live in sin. Did we know that? He never gives me grace to live in known sin, James 4, 7. I know I should do it, but yeah, I'm not going to do it. I have to take care of this. I got to take care of this. I got to take care of this. I got to do this and do that. And then, you know, then what? Oh, imagine if God was that way. God help us. God help us all. There's no honor in that. There's no value in that. There's none in the flesh. There's none. And we can even see that in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. Functioning in Christ, honoring one another, in Ephesians 5 and verse 21, or living in the flesh for myself. You don't put family first. You put God first. I want to make that crystal clear. I, I do too. We all do. You do not put family first. You put God first. Because if you don't, you don't even know how to take care of your family. Furthermore, you will use the flesh for yourself to take care of them. And it won't even be about them. And that's a fact. Seeing it as a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. In other words, God's going to take care of you. And we're going to see what these mean here. Very quickly here. We're going to see exactly what, these, what this is teaching here. Very precisely too. Because it wasn't just glossed over by the grace of Almighty God. By the grace of Almighty God, it was not. And, and I'm thankful with you for this truth too, by the way. To them that trouble you. What does that mean? To them that trouble you. Meaning, you and I live in obedience and rest in his love, and he takes care of all those that would seek to trouble us. That's what it says. And how do I know that? Do we think that the Holy Spirit was bringing back the Apostle Paul to these truths? That once he knew according to his own flesh, he would use the word of God for his own flesh and skip everybody else. Psalm 34, in verse 16, says, The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Is the flesh evil? Yeah. Will he ever be against who we are in Christ? Never. Will he always see me as righteous? In Job 36 and verse 7 and 1 Corinthians 1.30, absolutely. Absolutely. But will I experience, when I live in disobedience, this exchange? No. Nope. To, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Of course, this is unbelievers. But we will experience being cut off. But it's not God that's doing the cutting off at that point. It's, it's the enemy who deceives 
a Christian from living in truth and causes them to live like the world. How does the world live? Everything's about myself and my family, period. That's it. It's Revelation 12, 9. It deceives the whole world. Then when I begin to live in truth, or if I preach the truth, if I preach it, and those that are under the deception as Christians, they don't want to hear it. What do they become? Accuser of the brethren. They resist. I don't want to hear that. I don't like that. I don't like this thing. I don't like That's the Swiss cheese Bible. Well, the righteous cry, that's us. The righteous cry. Oh, how he has to bring us. This is the place of self-helplessness and self-hope. Their sin. Time that's not his. Places that aren't his. Money that's not his. Bring us to the place of self-helplessness and self-hopelessness. The righteous cry. Now the Lord hears. Boy, he has to bring us to that place. And delivers them out of all their troubles. Whatever time, place, money, I don't care myself. Whatever is not given to him becomes the source of the trouble that the enemy uses. Yeah. And keeps us in bondage. In the disregard of the word of God. Well, the Lord is near unto them that are of a broken heart. Their will has been broken and submitted. And he delivers such as be of a contrite spirit. One another time, we'll get into the exact words of these in the Hebrew, and they're pretty amazing too. Now, many are the afflictions of the righteous. All appointed, 1 Thessalonians 3, 3, they are all appointed. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, Psalm 119, verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray. And how does God afflict? The beginning. He chastises with the word. He lovingly chastises us because we're living in areas of disobedience known or unknown. First step of the word of God coming is very, it's very loving chastisement. There's no condemnation in it. See, the condemnation for any of us is in the flesh. It's never in who we are in Christ. Never. Never. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Why? Because of the reality is that he kept all his bones. Not one of them is broken. That's Jesus Christ in John 19, verse 34. Not one of his bones was broken because he completely finished everything. And that's what we rely on. And you see, there's where here that he, and to you, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7, to you who are troubled, what? Rest with us, because he's going to take care of the trouble. The thing that you get so overwhelmed about, because you're trying to use your time apart from him, your place apart from him, your finances apart from him. You're trying to do all that apart from him. He's the treasure. Matthew 6, verse 21. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. He's the treasure. And when he's not, all these other things take precedence over it. Well, rest with us. Because that's our place. Because where's God resting? Where's the Father resting? In the Son of His love. Zephaniah 3 and verse 17. He's resting in it in Genesis 2, 1 and 2. He's resting in His love. The love that His Son finished for Him in propitiation, and then the Father can offer Him to us is the substitute whereby we can be reconciled. And we're reconciled positionally, but are we experientially? If I live in areas of known disobedience, delayed disobedience, 
I've known some Christians, and boy, were they faithful in areas. And all of a sudden, it just, for every other reason under the sun, it stopped. Very interesting. And that's true. Everything that's being said is, explain, is, is amazingly true for me. But rest with us. When the Lord Jesus will be revealed, manifested from heaven, and his mighty angels, really the Greek is, says the angels of his power, because there's other angels that are not of his power. And that's what's always against the mind of the believer in obedience. There's angels under Satan. Revelations 12 and verse 4, bring it out crystal clear. In Ephesians 6, 12, in 2 Corinthians 10, and verse 4 and 5, brings it out clearly, very clearly in the Word of God, right? With the power of His might, in flaming fire, to take vengeance on them that know not God. Do we know Him? Do we know Him? Do we know this positional truth? And then it says, who know not God, and that obey not the gospel. And really here, it is the gospel, it is the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the Greek here, by the way. I just want to make that clear precisely in the light of a multitude of translations that are not even close to being right. And most of them I wouldn't give a hoot for. I can name a bunch of them. That obeyed not the gospel the glory of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will be punished, this is not us, by the, way, by the way, in Christ, with everlasting destruction. What does that do away with? It does away with annihilationism. Because that's what it says, based upon John 3 and verse 36. You see, the word of God, and each, it's one whole organism. And I don't separate and cut off areas where I don't want to be obedient. Because I think I did enough, now it's someone else's turn. Where did that nonsense ever come from? It certainly didn't come from God. I should stop being obedient so that others should be? Come on. I don't know what we think. Gosh, mighty. I don't know what we think that we're doing for God. Well, I've done enough. <laughs> really? <laughs> Matthew twenty twenty eight, Mark 10, verse 45. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. What does he minister to us? The truth about who he is and his person and the work that he accomplished through the intimate desire of his word for us. And the enemy wants us to live in disobedience so that we miss and we only think in terms of what our desire is. How about his desire? His desire for intimacy with us. And then I want to cut it off through, through disobedience. Who will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his power, when he will come to be glorified in his saints? going to be manifested. This is, this is the reality of Hebrews 2, 11 and 12, by the way. And to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. That day is the day that we're living in. It's the world system 
But that day speaks of the judgment. You know, that's why we meet him in the clouds of the air in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. Because until judgment has been accomplished on the earth, we don't come back with him till then. And by the way, you don't, the church does not go through the tribulation period in Revelations 3 and verse 10. Because the simplicity is the original language. The original language is ek, out of, not dia, through. Christ finished the work. And don't listen to those Christian, so-called Christians that Judaize and lead the church back into legalism. And there's plenty of them today. I know some. And I know them by name, too. Teaching that nonsense. When they shouldn't even be teaching at all. It's just a revelation that they're trying to be something they're not. It's a fact. That's why it says in Ephesians 4.11, some pastors and teachers, not all. Some. Exclusive, better than anyone? No. God's choice. It's God's choice. Not the believer's choice. Any more than it's their choice to, to, that they think who should teach them and who shouldn't. Got nothing to do with our choice at all. It's his choice. And I'm thankful for the men of God. They do preach Christ faithfully, as I do, even in the midst of failure I, and failure. And, and to know the difference as a, as a leader, this is very key, that God would use the failure in a right way to teach us godly sorrow in 2 Corinthians 7.10 and not to be used by the enemy to beat us with because he'll do it. If you're going to be, if you have the gift of a pastor teacher, you're going, to, you're going to experience that beating. There's no question about it. They hated Christ. They're going to hate him in you manifested. No, and this is for every believer too. But I'm talking about in terms of leaders too. Behind the scenes, the battles that they go through. The intensity of it. And then it's not known, but then they, they just come out and by God's grace faithfully preach the word of God. We've got to finish up here. When he will come to be glorified, this is Second Thessalonians 1.10, in his saints, and to be admired in all them that, be, that believe. That's always obedience, by the way. Did we know that? It's always obedience. Right? Faith, dependence, pis, pistis and pistuo. Yeah, okay. You don't even need these Greek words. Don't be a young person and allow the enemy to get you caught up in all the Greek. You, we need to know the English Bible first. Okay? Don't skip it. Because knowledge will puff you up in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 6. And you'll fall right into the condemnation of the devil. Because what you think you know when you don't know it, the enemy will allow that just so at some point he's going to condemn you. And there's no question about it. That's why we all need to take our place in the local assembly. We're all equal in terms of our salvation in Galatians 3 and verse 26, but not in the function and the order of his gifts in Galatians 3 and verse 28. Babes, young men, spiritual dads. 1 John 2, 12 and 14. We're all forgiven. We're all his children. But we're not all, all his children in terms of growth. Experiential. We are in what we have positionally, but in terms of growing, this is what we have. 
Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you what? Would count you what here? Worthy. Worthy. This, there's a time here, even in verse 8, where it says that, he, that Christ is going to come taking vengeance. Really, the Greek says yielding. And what does this mean? Just God's outright anger like we are, unsaved or in the flesh? No, that's called wrath. And he's held it back. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, because he's not willing that any should perish. So he's holding back this wrath that is going to come, but that deals with judgment on the earth, not for uh, the church. And that's why we meet him in the clouds of the air, because the day of the Lord has to do with the earth and it has to do with judgment. It has to do with the fire and vengeance brought out clearly here of the wrath, which is love still functioning, (laughs) but justice unfulfilled, but not in us, in Christ, because he's done it. He finished it in John 19, verse 30. That he would count you worthy or safe of this calling, Romans 8. What is the calling? It's Romans 8. All the way through. Romans 8 and those 36 verses, or 38 verses, 38 verses, 39 verses. (laughs) Romans 8, 1 through 39, 39 verses. That brings in, that's what this calling is. Read Romans 8, 1 through 39. Read Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 3. This is our calling. You see how this is one seamless, organic truth in the Word of God. And that's that day. That day speaks of the day of judgment, for which there is none for us in 1 John 4, 17, because we're to have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is right now, who, who, who delivered us from it all, so are we in this world. And that's why there's no fear in love. We're not to be terrified by our adversaries in any way in Philippians 1 and verse 27. So I'm going to finish it up because I want to finish up here the difference between 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. That he would count you or keep you safe in the worthy of that calling. That's how it should be read, by the way. Keeping you safe, this has to do with Christ. Would there be no call without Christ? There'd be no salvation. He, uh, Acts 4.12, there's only one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5. No question about it. And then it says, what? And fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness, the goodness of Christ in us, the very nature of God in Exodus 34 and verse 6. And the work of faith constant dependence and obedience, and that releases power. The power of Christ, active in my experience, in yours. That the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what this is teaching in First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians. The first epistle to the Thessalonians was dealing with a mistake because of bad teaching or no teaching that there were those who would fall asleep in Christ and miss him coming back in the rapture. Does the Bible teach the rapture? Oh, some won't teach that. 
Well, when you don't understand the rapture, you don't understand nature, character, and essence of God, and you don't understand judgment, and you don't understand these particular things, and you, then you believe you've got to go through the tribulation because there's not going to be a rapture, and that you still have to be judged. The church still has to be judged. The Bible does away with that nonsense. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, Revelations 4 and verse 1, does away with all of that. Well, because in their immaturity, these Thessalonian saints, this is 1 Thessalonians, in their immaturity, and they were absorbing occupation with their own thoughts and trying to make sense of the thought of God, was bringing all kinds of confusion, with the coming or presence of the Lord, their thinking was, that the saints that were not found alive and waiting for him would lose their part in him coming back. Not a part of their eternal life, no. Not their particular part in Christ. That can't be done away with in Revelation 2.17, based upon John 6.37 and 39, based upon no man can take us out of his hand, and, and uh, John 10.28 and 29. It's not talking about their part with him in their eternal life, but the blessed moment of his second advent. That's what it's teaching. And they got confused because they didn't have right teaching. This is the first epistle. I want to listen. I understand capacity. I do. And by his grace, because of my years and in the word, I understand it. By his grace, listen, by his pure grace, a lot better than some. You wouldn't think so, but I do. By his grace. I understand capacity. These were brand new babes in Christ. And they were taught the rapture and all of that. That was the cause of it. They were taught right here. But he had to cause a hunger in them. He has to, he has to allow confusion to bring us to the place of self-helplessness and self-hopelessness. So that we'll come in God's order in the local assembly and receive the truth. This is what it's talking about. But that error was done away with by 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. It's completely done away with. And to cheer up those and who were put to sleep by him. This is a beautiful thing that it's teaching. Because in the Bible, it's not, it's not death for the Christian. He that dies once dies what? Romans 6, 9, no more. It's always, death always speaks of separation. Is there any right now between us and God? Positionally, no. How about my experience? Could disobedience bring that? Here. He puts to sleep those that are his. He puts their body in the grave. And he brings them to return to him. In Ecclesiastes 12, verses 6 and 7, he brings them. He puts them to sleep. It's no accident. Death for the Christians, no accident whatsoever. We may miss them. We may weep for a time, and that's fine. That's part of it. Yes. But we weep knowing we're going to be with them again forever never to be separated again. And so he brings in this revelation to teach them that those that are in heaven, that's why the church is not the church triumphant just on the earth. It's multitudes still in heaven while there's multitudes still on the earth. Then when Christ comes back, though they come back 
with him and we meet him if it's prior to the uh, it's after the rapture we meet him in the clouds of the air and we meet him there because the earth is the place of judgment none for us we're a heavenly people Ephesians 2 6 we're a heavenly people Ephesians chapter 1 20 through 23 we're a heavenly people we're not living just for the earth and taking the things of the earth to make our living that's why I taught you don't need to be taught anywhere else the things of God that concern you in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit other than the word and neither do your children those lessons start in the home and if the home's not right order then you're going to rely on someone else to do it listen I'm all for Sunday school and I and I do believe it does have a place it does have a place and I it, it's brought out in first Timothy in Titus and second Timothy it's brought out beautifully in, in there without a doubt and that's where women can take the young people and teach them teach them the things of Christ at a very young age so that nothing else replaces it things of the earth replace the heavenly so you get them set how to live on the earth but without the heavenly that starts right here in the Word of God it starts in the home Deuteronomy 6 and verse 7 makes crystal clear you teach Deuteronomy 6 4 through 7 in your home that's where it starts but if you don't have right teaching in your home you need to go to the local assembly to get it digest it so that you can give it out now in the home here it's all the order we all come together and meet him in the clouds of the air but in this second epistle and this is what brings out the second epistle of Timothy of uh, sorry of uh, Thessalonians it is the delusion that false teachers try to put on believers in Christ with the claim that they were even of the Spirit of God. That was their claim. It's false teachers. And then they even had that where it says, and you can follow it all the way through here, that there were others that would pretend to be apostles and write a whole pretended letter for the saints to read. You know, that's all that bad teaching we get right now that's not of Christ. Yeah. To bring them back, right back, into Judaizing the church. Bringing them right back into works. Bringing them right back to that. A pretended letter that it was pretended and it was sent by the hand of the apostle. They'd counterfeit him. Did you know? That's what it's teaching here. The enemy endeavoring to shake in trouble under the apprehension of that present day that's coming of judgment to get Christians overwhelmed with it when there is no judgment for us. And if we do go home to be with him, it's because he put us to sleep because he desires us to be with him at that particular time. Very clear here in these scriptures, brought out very, very beautifully in these scriptures here. The day of the Lord was to be ushered in by darkness of judgment. Is there any for us in the light of who Christ is? No. And divine judgments. I wrote it here. Jesus is the light, but he's the fire that's going to deal with these things. His eyes are as a flame of fire. Revelations 1 and verse 14. It's holiness and the action of God's love expressed through wrath that's the day of judgment and it's on the earth and these 
Satan sought to inflict on the saints, so to fill them with terror and distress that that day of judgment was about them. And you know how many are taught that? Multitudes. Because there's no preciseness in the scriptures. It just isn't. There's not a depth of understanding in the word of God. But clearly, clearly it is this clearly as we close and just barely touch this today. But clearly this is the natural expectation of a Jew who hasn't received Christ. That's their, that is their expectation. It's not ours. It's not ours. It's theirs. Because even the Jew who has confidence in the faithful of, faithfulness of God, all he can look for outside of Christ is tribulation and judicial dealings to precede the kingdom. Revelations 19, Revelations 20. Of the glory of Israel on the earth. Brings in so much teaching here. We don't even have the time. But you know, the enemy is ever at work to draw back the heart of the believer. That's why when you treasure things up and they're just about you, the enemy has a place in you in Ephesians 4 and verse 27. Can't replace your position. It's irreplaceable. But boy, he does that. So the enemy's at work to draw back the heart of the believer to the law. To the law. If you cannot entice him to lawlessness. See those two areas where he goes after the Christian? Get him back to legalism, because it's still the flesh. Or lawlessness, just live the way I want. Take care of every one of my lust patterns. <laughs> yeah, it's a need. Yeah, sure it is. Sure it's a need. Lust is insatiable. Never will be satisfied. Never in any of us. And so, what happens? That's what he's doing today, constantly. He keeps putting forth his wiles, his method of subtlety, Genesis 3, 1, 2 Corinthians 11, 3, that subtlety. That's right. To draw us back into the flesh. And all we do in the flesh is, what do we look for? Now we look for God's going to judge me. Is that our right position in Christ? But we give place to the wiles and then what does he do? He Judaizes the hope that Christ is in us. That's the enemy. Don't you, aren't you thankful, and I, and I am thankful with you, for the precise preaching and teaching of the Word of God. I don't know, what kind of a value would we put on that? Would we separate the treasure from the vessel any more than each other? Would we do that? No. No. Instead of rejoicing in the fact of the coming of the bridegroom for his bride, he wants to fill us with terror and fear. But the deception is even more dangerous, more per perilous, because, because of the truth of the day of the Lord is a weighty truth in itself. It's true. God's going to deal with it. He's going to deal with Satan and this evil world system and all unbelievers. You, you, you can be absolutely sure of that. And they're not going to be set free with universalism at some point after they reach into eternity. Based upon Revelations 22 and 11. He that is holy, let him be holy still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. Still. And there's no such thing as annihilationism either. Try and escape it both ways. And that kind of teaching is so prevalent in, our, in this day right now. Because the closer we get to the day coming, it's the more intense 
this evil will be brought out. Because there's a revealed period of divine intervention and blessing upon the people of God, his ancient people, which are the Jews. There's going to be that. But the enemy wants us to be vague. He wants to cast a shadow over the light and reality of these truths. Because at that point in First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians, there was no written word to define that matter yet, like we have now, with the whole preponderance of the scriptures. And so this is what makes, and I'm going to close with this because I went over and I don't feel bad about it. This is what makes it so valuable for every single opportunity that we have to come together to have fresh communication on these things because we need them. Because the enemy is constantly projecting fear against the love and fulfillment of God's desire for that and in that love in us. We need that fresh communication because the enemy is going to constantly never stop raising up his attempt to pervert you and I from enjoying our own proper hope. This is why we have these truths. This is why he lovingly chastises us for these reasons. He loves us. He doesn't want us to miss out on a thing that we put ahead of Jesus Christ. Love not the world. Christians, this was spoken to Christians, by the way. Babes, young men, and spiritual dads. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. You don't need them. Believer, you and Christ, me, we don't need them. Neither the things that are in the world. Because if any man love the world, which is really not love, it's just fulfilling lust patterns. The love of the Father is not in his experience or his proper image in proper place. Because what are those things that are in the world? The lust of the flesh. I want knowledge. Oh, the enemy doesn't care how much knowledge you have, as long as it's not the true knowledge. He'll have you go after the Greek and Hebrew when you don't even understand the English Bible. You can't bypass growth. Can't. These are the things that are in there. Well, lust of the flesh. I'm going to no, no, no. I'm going to use the flesh to take care of me and everything, and I'm going to use it even to so-called take care of my family. I'm going to do all that and skip what I know to be obedience. Well, maybe we should skip the the word. Maybe we should do that too. The lust of the eyes. And it's all based upon the pride of life. But that whole world system and all of that is on a collision course with the eternal one, Jesus Christ. And this is 1 John 2, 15 to 17. We are those that have been placed in the son of his love. And nothing will ever replace that. And Father, we thank you so much for the depth of your love. Thank you so much for the clarity of the scriptures. Thank you so much for the preciseness of the word. In Jesus' name, amen.